Welcome to the Hop and Brew School podcast. I'm Justin Crosley. And I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are live from Hop and Brew School, the real Hop and Brew School in Yakima, Washington at Yakima Chief Hops. The physical. I think that the, 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 the podcast is real. It's just ephemeral. You're right. It is real. And in fact, I want to point out, I've been having such a great time. It's my first time at the uh, physical Hop and Brew School. And I have, I've learned a few things about our podcast. Um, and, and I've met a few people through it. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing I've learned, and I hope you're going to take this the right way, Nick, um, in talking to some of your staff and our listeners, I've learned that I'm the Nick Whisperer. Yes. Yes. I have been able to wrangle you in in such a way that all of the knowledge that you hold in your noggin comes out in a way that the rest of us non-brainiacs can keep up with. Well, okay. Can, if if. Can you transfer that to me so I can be the Pat Whisperer? Because really, <laughs> Pat like my, too, yeah. my team is where it all comes to be. I, I'm just the vessel. I'm, yes. sort of, I'm sort of like the vector. I'm yes. Like, yes. And well, and I hope you do take this as a compliment because what really people are saying is like, we love the information that Nick contains in his skull. <laughs> but he rambles an awful lot. Well, no, you're just above us on many levels sometimes. And we have to, I'm, I'm, apparently I'm able to get it out of you in such a way that we all can follow along and, and not have to have the IQ that you have. So, in a good way, we, we've we've discussed this. I don't I don't think it's IQ. I think um, I, I learned early on to use ADHD as my superpower. Sure, and I just kind of like spaz in between <laughs> ideas. Um, yeah, but uh, no, but that's that's good to hear. And 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 we've talked privately about this. That you actually really helped me um, communicate a lot, uh, less mumble and um, a little bit less rambly. <laughs> and my speech has slowed down. I love this. My now wife is 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 very happy about this. A wonderful. This was my wedding gift to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's no longer it's no longer binary shoots of, of, of communication. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's made me uh, very excited. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about the podcast in general. It's our fastest growing podcast on the Brewing Network ever since the start of the Brewing Network. Uh, the listenership is just really growing uh, very fast. In fact, um, I met a, a listener today from Italy, an Italian brewer, and he came up to me and he said, "Are you know, are you Justin? Uh, uh, well, who's asking?" Is my first. <laughs> what did I do? Um, and he said, "Hey, have a subpoena." Yeah, he said, "I just want to thank you. Um, I'm here at Hop and Brew School because of your podcast. I was listening to the Hop and Brew School podcast. You mentioned this thing. I I went online. I bought my ticket." It doesn't end there because I'm already now flattered, right? I'm so excited to meet this gentleman. Yeah, this uh, Fran- pretty freaking cool. His name's Francesco, by the way. A shout out to Francesco in Italy. Um, and he goes on to say, I also have to thank YCH Hops. Uh, and, and he really meant it. He was being very serious at this moment. I want to thank them because of the quality of their hops. I won second place in the IPA category in all of Italy. Damn. By purchasing YCH Hops. It's through his local distributor, which is kind of a, uh, a homebrew shop slash uh, professional. That, well, that would Mr. be Malt? Mr. Mr. Malt. Mr. Uh, Mr. Malt. It's Mr. Malt. Mr. Malt. Yeah, they're, okay. they're fantastic. Uh, we, uh, I had the privilege of actually going out and meeting them. So that's thank you, Francesco, for that feedback. Isn't that cool? So that's he great. said, um, apparently it's the equivalent of the Great American Beer Festival, but in Italy. Um, and he won second place. It was the largest category, IPA, just like everywhere else in the world. It's always the largest category. And he, so he's telling me the story. I really have to thank YCA. And I'm remembering that Steve's sitting right behind me. So I go, well, why don't we go thank YCH right now? And I got, <laughs> and I got the chance to do that. And it just was a, a, an awesome moment for me. More importantly, 
Um, I invited myself to Italy in February for this event next year, and I'm pretty sure Corporate Alex said we're going to make this happen Dude, uh, okay. because we all want to go to Italy. <laughs> so I, well, I went there last February, okay. and I was astounded. First of all, um, Patricia and the gang treated me ridiculously well, and I was there with a couple of our European uh, European sales members and, and, and staff members. Um, and I walked into this this you know uh, just event hall and so so if you, you, you've never been to a brow or a drink tech or something like that you don't understand the scale yeah. so CBC is quite large it is brow and drink tech are about four to five times the size that's incredible it's it, you actually so I, I think I uh, the, in, in one in Philadelphia I racked up 70 kilometers of walking of the steps five wow. days wow. <laughs> around yeah. the event it was insane yeah um but I walked into this this Italian Brewers Festival, and I didn't I did not appreciate. It. I, mean, I lived in Europe for for well, it was Europe then uh, for almost ten years, and working with a lot of Italians and, and sending a lot of beer there. But going into this event hall, I was astounded. Mm. I mean, it was you know at least half the size of Brow, and they had different tents with, of course equipment suppliers and ingredient suppliers. He kind of said it's everything mixed in one. It's not just like a beer festival. It's a, a, a it's trade. A, it's a trade show. Yeah. But what was awesome is that they had double the amount of space they had for vendors and everybody else. I see. For beer and beer-related tents. Okay. So beer yeah. and food and stuff like that. It was crazy. It was well, like going to Brow if it was just bars. Right. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. <laughs> Sounds like my jam. It's pretty good. And the quality of the beer was exceptional. I can't wait to go. Alex, make it happen. <laughs> He's giving the thumbs up. He's giving me the thumbs up. Well, our guest today, and I'm excited about this because I've been learning a lot more about YCH since I've been here and discovering actually that I know some of the of the founding members that I, that I didn't even realize, but we've got Steve Carpenter uh, back on the show. He was with us a couple podcasts ago, and he's the chief supply chain officer here at Yakima Chief Hops. Welcome back, Steve. Great to be back, Justin. It's fun to see you here. And then what I've realized, my, my, my good old friend, Ralph Woodall... Uh, who is here today. He's the senior customer liaison here at YCH. Welcome, Ralph. Thank you. It's great to be here and be a chance to be able to share some stories of the past and going into the future. I'm excited about it. And I realized, so I met, you know, I started the Brewing Network back in 2005. um, And my first event that I went to was the Oregon Brewers Festival. I was young and a little dumb, and I drank too much, and I did a lot of dumb things. But one thing right that I did was walk around with a recorder, and I met Ralph uh, during that time. And we got to talk a little bit about the industry uh, way back then. And so it's just really nice to see you uh, still here, Ralph. That's fun, yeah. (laughs) And the other one is we used to have a booth, so we set up a booth down there, and we'd have some hop samples, and we'd be able to meet and talk with the people. But you also used it as a way of communicating with the brewers that were there and the different events and so it was really a really good time yeah yeah i i had a blast i've i still really like the oregon brewers festival by the way i've been uh, several times in my career uh but yeah it was just a nice way to to start out back in 05 so what i wanted to do today is is kind of figure out decipher and tell the story of how we ended up here as yakima chief hops um because i'm familiar with uh what used to be hop union 
but I'm not really familiar with how we got here and how it is that you have these owner-grower farms that all participate in this unique model that you all have created. And I thought that Steve Carpenter is a great place to start because of his, of the Carpenter family farm, mm-hmm. which really, I think, dates back to kind of the beginning of this journey, right? Yeah, my family uh, planted hops here in 1869, Okay, about four miles that direction. So we're real close into that vicinity where they started growing hops there. Okay. And uh, really have grown hops ever since with the with the exception of Prohibition where there wasn't a real high demand for hops. Sure. <laughs> time that uh, they didn't grow hops. And but, they uh, just planted something else, to, yeah, else during that yeah, time? They, yeah, they grew other things okay. during, during that period. Um my grandfather uh, actually moved to Montana during the Depression. I mean, they're just he had money in the bank here. There was a run on the bank, and he basically had to start all over. And that's where my father, uh, also Tom, uh, was born in, in uh, Montana. Okay. And then the late 1930s, they moved to the Lower Valley and have been farming down there ever since. So, Back here, yes, basically here in the Act. Did they farm in Montana as well? Or? Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, um, they had a, a little different type of farming up there in in uh, Wolf Point, Montana. Okay, up, up in the northeast uh, corner up there. Oh, I but, love uh, Montana, especially yeah, the northeast. Yeah, beautiful country. So uh, they come back here, and and uh, and at what point is it is it directly after Prohibition that hops become a a, a useful commodity again? Yeah, pretty much correlates with uh, yeah. the end of Prohibition. Okay. And uh, there was still some demand for U.S. hops during Prohibition because there was some limited international markets, but it really wasn't uh, conducive for the size of the industry that we have now. Sure. Um, and I heard, so Jason Peralt, one of your of your family farmers, uh, part of YCH today, uh, I, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but I think it's good to talk about scale. Mm-hmm. He mentioned Citra alone now has almost 10,000 acres, that, that hop. Yeah. But I can imagine when your family started, we're, we're talking in the hundreds of acres total? Hundreds of acres total. Uh, when I was in my f- uh, former life as a hop grower in the... Uh, 19, mid-1970s and through the 80s, it was a whole different industry. Uh, first and foremost, we had primarily the cluster variety. Mm. That was the variety that was grown here in the Yakima Valley, and it was world-renowned. Mm-hmm. And you had an early cluster and a late cluster and kind of a mid-maturing cluster, so you kind of spread the harvest out. Um, and there's still a few clusters grown. Okay. There might be 60, 80 acres Right, yeah, some, something like that, Ralph, uh, here, here did, in the valley. Did anybody care about flavor and aroma when it came to cluster, or was it just an alpha hop? Primarily an alpha hop, uh, but not a very efficient alpha hop oh. because it was in that ten, uh, six to ten, six to eight percent range of alpha. Okay, but it was a very good storing hop. I you, see. You could store it forever. Okay, it, it, it uh, was not subject to oxidation, uh, the alpha acid. So it was a great hop from that standpoint. Uh, but it was used primarily for bittering, and uh, it wasn't until later when uh, you know a couple of higher alpha varieties came along, like Nugget and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Galena, and uh, really the first one that helped set the stage for the craft segment is Cascade. Okay, and that was released I think in 1972, and Coors was the first uh, big brewery that would buy Cascades. Interesting, but but then the craft guys figured out that they could create beers with uh, 
interesting taste and aroma profiles. Sure. But, Thank you, Sierra Nevada. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> they were the Grossmans were one Mem- of the pioneers. Remember the old bullions? The, the oh yeah, bullion days yep. and different yeah. bullion and aroica. Yeah, in the but and, you've and, told the story, Ralph, about uh, Ken Grossman coming up here to to get hops and uh, back when uh, you know, Ralph and Ralph, so mm-hmm. our buddy Ralph Woodall here and Ralph Olson. Those two gentlemen saw something I don't think anyone else did. Okay. And, and it was really the craft segment. And, and I don't w- think... around what time is this that you saw that craft was could yeah, be a thing? That would have been in the late uh, late uh, 70s, early 80s. Interesting. That was going on. Early enough. Wow. Because yeah, so, so I started here in 83, right? And at that time, Ken had been up, coming up for a few years already. Mm-hmm. And he would be coming up originally just getting hops for his homebrew shop. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden he started the brewery up. They would come up here for hop selection and so forth. And uh, Was so, he your only... Uh, now hop selection's a big thing, right? All the brewers come. Was he yeah. just the, the only guy well, coming to select? Yeah, we had, of course, the major brewers doing their selection. Okay. And then they would come in and do their selection. And then we started getting little... You know, we had like Widmer would be coming in. And sure. Red Hooks and so forth. But the main thing on my story with the Sierra Nevada group particularly is with, uh, you know... Steve Dressler, he started in 83. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same year I started. So when okay. he comes in, you know, we were able to be there together. Ken's right there. And then Ralph Olson and myself, and we would give them the hop selection and then be go up on a Jeep trip onto the ridge, you know, up on nice. Garland Mountain Lookout or something like that. So that's that perpetuation. And then from there, the, you know, the expansion going on. But exactly right. It's that the grounds on point of understanding that, well, here's another market that you'd be looking at. That right. The major market and the smaller market. And we started really working into that. And this was part of your vision at this time that you thought, okay, I know this smaller market is tiny now, but I think that there's we're going to see more of these types of brewers in the in the near future. Yeah, and that's what paid off in time. Yeah. You know, so as it turns out, with part of that philosophy, we were one of the first actual dealer, hop dealers particularly, that were focusing on craft divisions. So then that led Ralph and I to be able to get the National Recognition Award from the Brewers Association in 2000. Got it. So yeah. that was like, because we had helped that build up along over that time. That you, you know? should be very proud of that. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's, big high, it's called the high water mark. Okay. You know? Yeah. Like, I call it the top of the mountain. You know? so that's yeah. What that comes from. So uh, did you grow up here in Yakima Valley? Yeah. So I was grew up in Terrace Heights. And so I went down to uh, St. Joseph grade school for grade school and then went back out to East Valley High School okay. in Moxie. And we used to call it Hop High because it actually had the hop fields around it. Okay. And so the the other story on that is that when I was a freshman, uh, pre first uh, year at East Valley High School, 1967, went out and worked cutting uh, in front of the trucks, 14 years old. Nice. And cutting harvest time, you know, and that was my introduction to the hop world. Okay. Know, out in Moxie. And then kind of built up from that over time, you know. But anyway, just there's. It's always it's been in your blood. Is that yeah. you might not be a fifth generation farmer, but it's been in your blood since you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing, just a real quick backtrack to the early 1900s. My great grandfather had come out here from Kentucky, and so he was. I've got a picture of him working in the hop harvest in 1904. You know, he's up on top doing the helping doing the twining. You know? Wow! And so that's the Woodall connection, and then sure. the carpenters. They they actually my my father's mother's family came across the Cumberland Gap into Washington with Ralph's family. Mm. It was all about the same time. No they kidding. All, all came from Kentucky. So yeah, They called y'all come and all the Kentuckians <laughs> came up here, settled in the Toppenish, Buena area over into Zilla okay. and so forth. And so my uh, great grandfather is buried in the Zilla Cemetery. Wow. And so then also became the Woodall name. It was well known at that time. 
And then you had the, some of the pioneer orchards, Uncle Mac Woodall, and then his right. son was Perry Woodall, who became a, a lawyer and also was a state representative for the Washington for years and years. So then it goes on and on, and then also sure. you know matching up with you know Tom Carpenter Senior back in the days, and and the, your your yeah. father Steve, is, my is grandfather. your grandfather. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. he he kind of handled the uh, counting the bales and making sure everything was bailed. Correctly. I see. And uh, Ralph was one of our first uh, inspectors, and that's where I first met Ralph. Yeah, I was curious. So you used to work for the state, apparently, when they had to co- do agricultural inspections? Yeah, and they still do, but that's a certification process, which okay. you do is you go in and take the, verse of the cuts, basically their little uh, samples that you take back for the lab, mm-hmm. and the lab breaks them down and checks out for leaf stem and seed content. So hmm. then they get the certification so you can show to the brewers or the, the, the you know, the basically what they're getting and showing that it's cleanliness for seeds and leaf and stem material. Who set those standards, I'm curious, back in those days? The, the, well, the, the state? A, yeah, the State Department of Agriculture is okay. what that is. And they had their called the Hop Division. Okay. So the Hop Division would be there. And then that was started. And it's now perpetuated. It still exists going today. And, Interesting. Yeah, and so, Have those standards changed at all? I pretty think, similar. Uh, yeah, real similar to what they, you know, what they've been sure. back in those days because you have the same format. Yeah. Know, and you're not actually dealing with alphas or anything like that. You're just dealing with the physical product itself. And and, and what I'm thinking really is that like the standards here at YCH are well beyond whatever the state cares about anyway. So it's almost irrelevant. Uh, sure, we'll go ahead and pass your test, your li- your little test, yep. but you guys care more about so many other factors. Well, we we look way beyond that. Yeah, yeah. And the standards haven't changed. I mean, you still basically you take the sample and you pick out the leaf and stem from the the hop cones mm-hmm. and uh the and standards seed. haven't changed yeah seed is also counted. So seed right. stem is and they weigh it and then you and, get a percentage and they haven't changed i think growers have gotten better at cleaning up their hops there used to be five six percent leaf and stem picks i see and now it's rare to get one that's one percent wow that's usually less than that sure so, the thing is that when, when you're dealing with the quantity of hops that are going through the system nowadays even uh, a, a, pers- a, a decimal of a percentage is a substantial impact on processability and on the amount of hops. So it's, uh, I mean, quite frankly, it's a, it's a real credit to our growers to see um, every year them, them, you know, reducing any That's sort of number foreign, tick mater- down. foreign material, basically. Okay. But one of the things that, that is, is, it's really nice to, to see, I and mean, we, we talked about this uh, before, is looking at uh, quality of of the hops coming in and the growers paying attention to this stuff. And it takes, it, it takes a really good farm management practice and, hmm. and sharing that throughout the industry is something that uh, Steve and the founders have really established. Here. Sure. So it's pretty, pretty damn cool. Also, the other thing to think about too, you had some hops basically were more prone for seed you had your fuggle particulars and then you started coming in with Willamettes. Then you also had your growing areas where we had less potential here because of, we didn't have the forested areas. <laughs> And down, say, in the certain uh, Willamette Valley and so forth, they had a little more particulars there that they had to be aware of. I see. So certain varieties were more prone to that, but as long as a brewer understood that, they had kind of a certain range that they would stay in, but then they also wanted to make sure that they didn't go way over the top on those. And okay. so then eventually a lot of those seeded varieties were just eliminated in time. You get into your, you know, your less, and also eliminating the uh, the male plants and not getting the cross pollination going. So okay. You know, we could look out in the fields and see them out there, and they'd go out and, and rove them. My grandfather had a five dollar bounty on what he called buck vines. So okay. You find one of those you're bringing into him. It's 
that quick five dollar bill. Your Interesting. grandfather had that. My grandfather. That's and a, that was a that's lot, a of, money lot of money back, back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we only got twenty five cents for the gopher tails, but we would get five dollars <laughs> for a for a buck hop line. Because yeah, we wanted to keep seeds out. We we uh, we sold seedless hops here in Washington State and we're proud of that and wanted to get rid of the males. Interesting. That was probably even a slogan and that you don't need anymore because you're so good at keeping them out. But back then you might have said we have seedless hops. That's so. Yeah. So at this point, it sounds to me that we're, we're selling direct to brewers, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, and, and at some point, Hop Union comes along, Ralph and Ralph, um, and you become more of a middle person between the the, the farms and the brewers. No, what, yeah, what what it was is the my original world came in uh, working with here this local building at that point was originally the old Vaughn Horse Company, and there was a basically a private company itself. Okay, so they had growers that they were buying from. So I see, not, no grower ownership on that. And the main focus at that point was major breweries themselves. But the week I started, it was Vaughn Horse Company. They, they basically sold out. There had been a bad market point had hit a couple of years previous to that. So they sold out. Well, what happened with all of the brewers, uh, the growers that were basically selling to the Vaughn Horse Company, go, what do we do now? Mm. So they actually ended up getting together and purchased the company. And it became known as Western Hop Company at that time. Okay. So Western Hop Company was grower ownership at that point, still dealing with the same base of brewers, major brewers, major brewers mm-hmm. and keeping some of the contracts going that they had existing with the Von Horst Group. Also, you know, we were then uh, working still craft small stuff going on. But the, uh, Western Hop Company basically lasted for about three years. Okay. So they were trying to make it happen over that period of time, but it still was a very tough market. So during that interim, the Hop Union, uh, basically German company, had come into the valley and had been purchasing up some different uh, uh, hop dealerships Okay, and purchased the uh, Western Hop Company in 1986 and created what was known as Hop Union USA at that point in time. I see. So that's how my world got into the Hop Union world. And so it was basically a take point over. Okay. And so from there, it continued on with the major brewery sales, but mm-hmm. all strictly in one single company. You know, so all the brewers would uh, buy from us and the growers, we would buy growers from the grower. From the grower. Yeah. So if you wanted to get a contract, you would call us. We would call, call the grower and say, hey, I want to get a... You know, you might call Steve's family farm and say, "Hey, yeah. we wanted to give it a chance to buy some hops from you to sell this." You know, so then they would say, "Yeah, we'll get so many thousand pounds for this dollar amount." Then we would go back to the actual brewery and say, "Hey, we've got an offer now. We can offer these, but not direct." Okay, so it would just be in house, so you wouldn't even automatically know who that person was sure, that you're sure. coming from. And they said, "Yeah, that sounds good to us." You would go back. And they'd say, yep, that sounds good. You bring it back together, sign the contract. And then at that point, the contract would come into the company, but it actually would be independent, not knowing automatically. Now they can eventually find out who it was, but it was not a matter of, you know, direct sales at that point in time. And also, it doesn't sound like you were hiding anything, but the the level of transparency that we see today really, really wasn't there. Uh, again, not not maybe not yeah. even on purpose, but now you guys work hard that everybody knows everything, every step of the way. I know if Steve's family grew my hop. I know what lot it is. I know what hill it grew on. Uh, so that's really changed as well, is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, from- yeah, over a period of time, and that's kind of where we worked our way through just a little bit more of that history of that directness was basically, uh, you know, that's when 
during that period of time is when basically the history of the Yakum Chief starts in mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And then we're continuing on, and then eventually that comes in together. But main thing was just to kind of mention the fact that, it, you know, the Hop Union USA portion was the independent, you know, uh, dealer at that point in time. Okay. And then we, uh, but also as dealing with the craft brewers, you know, we also preached, you know, that we had an opportunity to make selection out of that vast inventory coming into the house. Sure. So we were actually going into these different lots that were coming in and we only needed 10, 15 bales out of them. So we would go in and look through and set those aside. So we were, they were, weren't getting the, the bad hops. They were getting some of the best hops that we could pick out. You know, Why would they? So this is, this sounds great if I'm a brewer. But if I'm a farmer, why would I even bother with you with these with this, these few bales? I mean, were they just being no, kind? No, 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 no. We we would buy two hundred bale lot. Okay, okay. From them. Okay. And then we we would separate ten bales for the craft division. I understand. Ninety bales would be set up for the major brewers. Okay. That so you to. bought the okay. So we were buying all of these these bigger varieties. <laughs> got it. We had access to those, and, and so I've got a, a sheet from about nineteen ninety or something like that, and it shows all the different varieties that we had. And shows, you know, who the particular brewers was and three bales for this person, four bales for that person, pelletized 25 bales, that type of thing. Can you give me some brew, some early brewer names that uh, were yeah, involved well, here? We, yeah, we were dealing with, with, with Sierra Nevadas. Okay. Yeah, we were dealing with Widmer Brewing Company and the Bridgeports. You know, Bridgeport? Did, yeah, oh, Bridgeport used to, that was one of my yeah. early IPAs. Yeah. yeah. And then we were dealing, of course, with the, uh, the over at Red Hook group. Okay. You know, and, yeah. And, and we dealt with uh, some of the early ones, you know, the... Uh, the Heart Brewing Company, sure. some of the different ones. And, of course, Grant's local, but see, Grant was working for another uh, company at that point in time. Okay. But we'd also be able to use his facility for drinking beers and tech. And, and then we had – so I think main thing is just some of the early days, you know, you start yeah. looking at it and you start you, – you'd be able to count them on your hands and know who the people were, you know. You have almost precisely stated out my craft beer progression as I got into it. Uh, Henry Weinhardt's was the name mission, yep. missing yeah. there. Yep. But then – uh, at some point? No, because – I was in California. We didn't ah, really get right, the right, McMenamins, right. but uh, Henry Weinhardt. Um, then I moved to Northern California, and uh, every barbecue I went to had this awful beer. I thought called Sierra Nevada, <laughs> and I, I, I got it. I got it the first time, and it just was so strong and bitter. And I've told Ken Delicious. this, by the way, so I'm not shy to say it on the radio now. Uh, and I thought it was awful, but every. Every time I went to another barbecue or party, that's all they had. And before I knew it, I couldn't go back. And then I wanted to branch out a little bit, so I went and found me some Red Hook, right, uh, yeah. which I still have fond memories of. It was no. the ESB. First one, a yeah. delicious beer. Yeah, you know, a little diacetyl back then was a nice flavor. Uh, I remember a period um, where there was not, and it was beautiful and hoppy and sharp. It was actually a, a real good fruity IPA. I didn't mind that at all. And then Bridgeport specifically became one of my favorites. Bottle can Conditioned sure. IPA, yeah. right? Um, well, okay. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. This is fascinating. We're going to take a very quick break, if you don't mind, and then we're going to find out um, what happened next as the as the craft beer boom essentially started to happen and, and how we ended up here today. So hang out with us. We're going to be back uh, right after these words on the Hop and Brew School podcast. 
Thank you for sticking with us here on the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are talking to Steve Carpenter and Ralph Woodall from uh, Yakima Chief Hops and and learning about how we ended up here in this amazing uh, hop industry, which um, I'm quite certain is very different than either of you ever expected that it it that it, it could be. Where we left off was kind of where Hop Union came into play and started working directly uh, with with craft, which now is a is a major focus of of not just the entire hop industry but certainly yakima chief hops so ralph at at some point you guys become uh well maybe even from the beginning uh the player in craft beer and as craft beer grows i imagine you you need to find new farms and new hops and can you talk to me a little bit about how that 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 growth started to happen and, and probably rapidly yeah, so what it was uh, originally coming in, you know, if there was an expansion going on, and so we were basically able to deal with just, you know, parts of the lots that would be coming in and so forth. And like you're saying, over time, I'm never, I tell the story, too, about Sierra Nevada. Mm. example, they would be coming in and buying one or two bales at a time, mm-hmm. you know, or, and then they would also, then they'd be buying make 10, 15 bales. Next thing you know, those would be going out small trucks. Next thing you know, it's truckloads. Sure. 150 bills at a time going out. And I also told the story because I was the traffic manager, director of operations at that time doing the shipping. The UPS truck would show up and I'd get out there and help them load. We'd load like 25, 30 boxes going out the door, you know, or something like that. And yeah. And then next, next turn around, it's 40, 50 boxes. Pretty soon it's pallets, this and pallets, that. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, I can't break my back anymore. You know, sure. So that, so that just shows that expansion that was going on. And then also for, with that point, the amount of uh, you know hop selection happening, more and more people kind of coming in, and as it was growing up and up and up, we ended up in a situation where our part of the footprint was large enough hmm. from the craft division that uh, we basically were the ones that survived through the company. Okay, and so the company itself of the Hop Union USA, nineteen, uh, basically that would be ninety nine, is when they basically saw that there were so many major brewers that were consolidating that they also didn't need as many dealers to be dealing with. So okay. they basically sold out basically to the Barth Hawes group at that point, but they kept our division as a craft hop union CBS craft division was kept. So Ralph Olson and myself and about four other people kept their jobs. The only people in this compound was left. Yeah. And so then we actually had to uh, then basically start fresh, keeping that alive because we had it going and they knew there was value there. And so they had a situation that they wouldn't sell to anybody over 100,000 barrels, and we'd get that base aligned working together. I see. But then over the years, it started growing up, and they would grow off the top of that and go, you know, so we'd lose out on that, but we continued on. Okay. But so that's for two years, we were in that uh, in between zone. So that's when in 2000 is when the uh, 2001 is when the came together. Uh, Ralph Olson was able to get together with, you know, say, for example, with Mike Smith and some of the local growers here and basically six different growers, some in Oregon and Washington, joined in together. Okay. was able to purchase the company back from the Barth Group. The German company. The German company. Mm-hmm. And uh, then was able to then rename the company as Hop Union Craft Brewing Sales, LLC. Got it. So, so that's craft brewing was the focus. Yeah. And then from where we were able to then continue on, you know, and that's where the Hop Union world the major international sales no longer existed, but the Hop Union name existed still because it was in the craft division. Okay. So that's, that's can, I, uh, can I actually interject here? Because I think this is a perfect moment to ask about what was the shift? What, why did you suddenly become a viable 
business? Or was it that it was viable all the time, but people didn't know what they yeah. wanted? No, what it was is it was. Excuse me for real quick. Here for you know for us, it was viable all the time because we were the ones that were selling it all, and hmm. then the other ones poo pooed it. And did, I'm talking about the dealerships. Not oh yeah, the, you're not cute. It's yeah, a, yeah. I remember a couple couple. There was a couple of meetings where we've been in where we said, "Oh, we used to think you were cute." And I threat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so wow, the, well done. Yeah, so that's where we'd be in a situation where we were trying to. Uh, you know, perpetuate that sales point and the people coming into us, you know, and we didn't have to deal with the majors anymore. Mm. To, and, but also there was a burgeoning market that was going on. And I can remember when Johannes came in at the beginning, when they first took over, they said, you guys don't have, we've got 500 brewers in Germany and you guys don't even have that much. Within four or five years, we'd hit the 500 point already. Sure. 900 and, and then it just kept growing on. I remember when yeah. it was 19... 19- Something and now we're at almost five thousand or no, over five thousand. No, oh, is that where we are now? Seven, oh, good 7, lord! 000. Wow. <laughs> so then I think that's also where I remember at that time I was looking at the possibilities of going to work for Yakima Chief, and again did an interview yep. down there because we were kind of in the limbo zone. Okay. And then right around that time, also I had been the director of operations here at Hop Union, and then when they basically sold out before that, I moved into the craft division. I see. And became the director of craft brewing sales. And when that happened, I didn't realize at the time, but that saved my point because I, everybody else was laid off and gone. And Ralph, I, you are yeah. like a cat. So yeah. far in this story, you've got nine lives, man. See, he really does. And the intersections <laughs> between Ralph and I as two people is amazing because when he came down for that interview, I was doing the interview. Okay. Okay. I was yeah. I, says, I love this. Ralph's got to come work for us. Yeah. Be- because, you know, I think to understand the the stark differences between today and say back when these grower owned companies were mm-hmm. starting, it, you have to recognize that through the eighties, that decade, there wasn't a lot of trust and there wasn't a lot of transparency in the hop industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were two antitrust suits. Uh, one of them brought by growers against the dealers okay. for price fixing. Uh, that one never went to trial. It was settled out of court. But there were things learned over the course of that trial mm-hmm. that prompted the Anheuser-Busch to sue the dealers. Interesting. So from the other yeah. side of it. Sure. You, know, you got the growers coming this side and then and uh, Anheuser-Busch sued the dealers at the time. That's how Anheuser-Busch ended up with that uh Hop Ranch up in northern Idaho. Is that right? Uh, that was part Steiner's of their settlement. Way of saying, uh, "Yeah, okay, wow. just take that. Let's keep." And I so don't it was think a, that, that it, one went to trial either. But there was absolutely no transparency. A bit of the Wild West over here, it, and it and was. yeah, okay. Now it's the West. <laughs> it's just and not we so have a lot wild, of fun, but not so wild. Okay. That's no, pretty wild sometimes. <laughs> yeah, only at Sports Center. <laughs> so y'all had to then sort of getting to here kind of figure out, all right, we need to go back to the basics here and and get this right. We we do. We we always felt our vision was if we could somehow work directly with brewers mm-hmm. as a grower group and to learn more about what they want in terms of what they need to make great beer. Mm-hmm. And if they could learn from us what we had to go through to get there, it'd be a much better system. Yeah. So in the late 1980s, uh, on the Yakima Chief side, uh, we set out to, uh, to change things and, br- and bring a, a higher level of transparency to it. And our first real boost of confidence came from Anheuser-Busch deciding to implement a direct contracting program with individual growers. 
So the dealer's role changed in that program. Okay. All of a sudden, we're contracting directly with Anheuser-Busch, mm-hmm. and the dealer's function is simply to handle the hops. Warehousing. And, and to yeah. ship them. Oh. Ship them. Processing, where, warehousing, things like that. Okay. Yeah. Supply chain. And, yeah, and seriously, right here, same situation. We were bringing in the Anheuser-Busch, but they had the warehouses, but yeah. that's all it was. Mm-hmm. We, were just, we were handling for them. I understand. Okay. So, so that was the first step for this uppity group of growers, if you will, yeah. to, to say, hey, we're dealing with the big guys. Uh, that didn't come without a little backlash. Okay. You know, we, our dealer friends who we'd been selling hops to, uh, informed us that uh, you don't need us anymore. You're dealing with directly with the biggest brewer in the world. Mm. So our markets for alpha hops especially <laughs> kind of dried up. Interesting. And uh, um, Chuck Zimmerman, who had just left Hop Union USA, I think it was probably 1988, something like that. 88, 89 in that zone. He went to work as a consultant for Pfizer, a large pharmaceutical company that had a brewery division and a hop extract plant in Sydney, Nebraska. Hmm. And so he went to work as a consultant for them. And he'd also been doing some private brewing. And we worked together with him to put together that program for Pfizer as a home for our alpha hops. And it was my family, the Peralt family, and the Smith family. Okay. And uh, so that kind of got us the ability to deal directly with brewer customers. I see. And so... Uh, we put that program together. Uh, we quickly outstripped our ability to source hops for it. So we started bringing some other like-minded growers into the fold and the Sauvé family and the uh, Gamash family and the, mm-hmm. the Berlots and, and other uh, families, the Gasling family. And that created the core of growers that finally in 1997 – formed Yakima Chief. I see. So let's, we, let's we built up. an extract plant in, in Sunnyside. Okay. That, that was not without its challenges, but let's back up here. This took 17 years. Mm-hmm. To get these grower families together, you're saying? Ju- yeah. No, just, just, just to get it to the point where people are keeping above water. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is a complete transformation from a broker and uh, effectively on the path to commoditization of of the hop industry and because of the breakout and the quality of people that, that were doing it you ended up with a very very different picture of the future hmm. this is where craft beer and i think beer quality around the world and and even i mean just flavor chemistry around the world mm-hmm. really took off what were the early varieties what did you guys see in brewer interest, why hmm. why did you persist? I mean, you've, you've talked about this in the uh, the the deep roots videos, and, mm-hmm. and this, that they're that you can see on our website. It's really cool. But one. we've we've clearly moved on from cluster at this point. So, uh, so far, well, no, I mean, it was there, <laughs> and cluster still has a role. Uh, cluster fuck it. Yeah, what were um, the early varieties? But what 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 were the ones that really drove? Really, I think the one variety that really fueled the craft movement and the craft movement fueled it was mm. cascade okay oh, for sure that that was it and followed by centennial centennial came it, in it at was, that point and then the centennial was and then it also it started going also the term high alpha 
was basically extract hops. Okay. okay. But then you had the high alpha, but also the oil factor was going on. So you had more dry hopping going on. You had wet hop beers and so forth. There was a lot more late hopping. Yeah. So the oil factor became more important over time. So that's where all of a sudden the varieties that came into play were the ones that have these higher, uh, you know, oil profiles and, and whatnot. So that allowed some of the breeding programs to realize that we're doing high alpha, but we're also looking for the oil. So sure. That, and it becomes an aroma character. Traditionally, what you think is an alpha hop is now an aroma hop. Interesting. Yeah, that's going on. And that's where it started going into and, the And having that, that breeding program, uh, which Jason basically took over from from Chuck. and uh, Jason Nike, Peralt. Uh, Jason Peralt yeah. took over for Chuck in uh, Zimmerman. And uh, that was probably 1989 when that was all moved over. Yeah. And really mentored Jason and, and taught him how the art of, of making the crosses and breeding. And from that program that was started in the late 1980s, mm-hmm. it takes about 11 years. Mm-hmm. So around 2000, 2001, things like uh, Palisade and Autanum mm-hmm. and Simcoe, Simcoe. Warrior. Uh, Warrior is another one that came out of that program. The breeding program. that so And, and let's just put a fine point on that because I think this is uh, obviously an important transition in the hop industry. Uh, Jason Peralt, uh, who, who told his story a bit on a previous episode in our, in our podcast, you should go listen to that, speaks very fondly of Chuck Zimmerman mm-hmm. as his mentor and teaching him uh, not only uh, how to, to breed hops and, and, and develop new varieties, um, but... But I think also why I think Chuck had a Chuck had a a vision that, you know, we need to start to hone in on what brewers are looking for. And if we can do that and give it to them, there's something here. Exactly. And clearly that something has grown exponentially. In other words, Chuck was right Uh, because brewers really if if you can find, you know, Simcoe and Citra, these things that brewers are really looking for. uh, It's lucrative. It's good for the families, the growers. um, It's great for the brewers. It's certainly good for us, uh, us consumers. Mm -hmm. So at this point and now Jason is kind of in charge of that program. Jason, uh, the Peralt family being part of Yakima Chief Hops. So at some point, you guys... um, stop working only with hops in the public domain and end up with these hops that you've developed specifically for craft brewers, right? That's right. Okay. Yep. And what was the first one of that? Do you know? What was the first na- uh, 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 of that uh, program that, that, that took I, off, I should say? YCR1 is a ton of them. Autanum was YCR1. I think YCR4 might have been Palisade. Okay. And we need corporate Alex. Yeah, yeah. They had Santiams. Remember the Santiam, yeah. I love Santiam. It disappeared, but I understand why. Then. But I think that's also where that started going off. Okay. And, and so that gets us into the hop union side, basically having access to the Acma Chief brands because we had we were able to get those available. Okay. So we were actually started selling those as well to the craft division. And then that goes into the 2006 point where we realized that our, our two companies were competing against each other for the craft market. Okay. And we're saying, hey, wait a minute now. We need to be able to just have one focus on craft, which we were as Hop Union. Mm-hmm. So that's when basically the Acma Chief uh, Craft Division came in and we created what was known then as just the Hop Union LLC. Mm-hmm. And that's that basically then cr- allows the Acma Chief Group to focus their world on the majors. Sure. And then we would focus on the craft division. So it was a division. of yeah. uh, Okay. 
two, the way I put it is 2006 is when Hop Union and Yakima Chief started dating. <laughs> and then in 2014 was the full-blown marriage. The marriage, yeah. understood. <laughs> How very modern it of took you. less time than I did. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, yeah. with, with that, I would like to ask you two who were there through it. It's an extraordinary risk to change your fundamental business model, your approach, developing new unproven varieties with a market that is basically a couple of dudes with beards and a dog in garages around the U.S. Mm -hmm. 17 years later, they're starting to sell some beer. Mm -hmm. Between 2000 and, I mean, let's be honest here, between 1992 and 2002, it was really only the last four years, five years, 1996, seven to 2002 that you really saw an expansion mm-hmm. an explosion it was here in the northwest you saw it more often if a beer if a bar didn't have sierra nevada it wasn't worth going sure mm-hmm. but across the u.s you started seeing that happen victory dogfish head sierra nevada boston bells bells mm-hmm. uh that's one of the things that bells you know mm-hmm. mile deep inch wide mm. versus inch deep mile wide mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the brewers will understand that um the why did you guys keep writing it was it just because it tasted better mm-hmm. was it just because you were like oh wait these guys get it well no it was it, what it was for our world was it was basically i was in the sales so i was traveling all over the country so we were on the front side of it you know and we saw what was happening mm-hmm. so i was going and knocking on doors getting getting the feedback also, the demand form was there, and we're going. So then, that's where the demand helps us get the supply. Yeah. We also used to preach that what our hop selection was, our hop selection was the farm. Yeah. You know, getting it from you know, so it wasn't a matter of you're making you know, we're not just giving you anything. Sure. Quality, and that's what that came down to. And then you had the the direct factor going on, and so then we were closer to the grower. Yeah. Doing the hop tours, people would come to town, get the hop tours going on in the hop and brew school, two thousand four, first year. Okay. Know? So then, but I think the main thing is just knowing that that we had it in our blood. Yeah, and, and it was going it was somewhere. Like, you know, Ralph, I'm going to venture to say that it was also because you have been having fun since. I don't <laughs> no. know that I've ever I've I've met you on several occasions, and you're always in a good mood. You're a happy guy, and it's a fun industry. And I'm being serious that I I think part of the reason you kept at it is you've got you're having fun. Yeah, and that talk, talk. you love this. You love the brewers. I think you love the growers. You're you get you're in this perfect spot in the middle of this of this product, this end product that you love, and these and these family farms. Yeah. And the other thing, real quick, see, and it's actually grown out of me. Where I used to cover mm. the entire country, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now we have regional representatives in each of those, and it's expanding out more and more. And so there's no way one person could do it. Sure. But back in those days, you did it, and you rang the bell, and did what you could. The neat thing is, I recorded a lot of that with photographs. Did you? And, and you know, all the times and notes and back and forth, and and so, and then being with Steve, you know, going, and then also then realizing that, you know, what happened, and then as it got bigger and bigger. Then the thing is like, hey, wait a minute, let's just bring it all together. Yeah. Let's make yeah. this whole group one, you know. And so uh, I think the one thing in common between Hop Union and Yakima Chief conceptually is this idea of making that connection. Right. And right. bringing that transparency 
understanding what our brewer customers want. And sure. The craft customers want something distinctively different than mm-hmm. our father's beer, you know, the traditional American lagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so we just happen to be in a position of having some hop varieties that help make the flavor and aromas for those beers. Yeah. And it's in stark contract to, you know, your traditional German lager brewer tremendously amazing brewers they do a great job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't want the hop to interfere with the flavor yeah. and taste to the beer mm-hmm. and these craft guys all over the world that's exactly what they want <laughs> give me so interference a lot of it I is want just some weird stuff <laughs> in fact i'm going to name your next hop it's called interference just whenever you come up with the one that really <laughs> we'll do a blend on that <laughs> yeah there we go disruption yeah disruption, disruption. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes disruption eruption interruption careful with the shuns Vinny might uh... <laughs> yeah, and the other part you know going back is it in, remember yeah, yeah. going back into the uh, the name itself where, you know, part of this whole flow was happening, merging together. We came up with a new brand. It was Yakima Chief Hop Union. Yeah. It was YCH was the branded name okay. used on that. Well, then with that, you lose both names in the branding, so to speak. So there was a uh, survey that went out to try to determine what is the best way to go for it. And that's when, the, you know, determined that the Yakima Chief name itself being the directness of it, the mm-hmm. starting point of the, you know, the direct to the uh, brewer, that by taking that name and bringing it out in the new brand as the Yakima Chief, yeah, and then having that be able to then become the focus into the future. So, okay, that, that's basically keeps an opportunity for the expansion, and then the future is there, and you accept that going forward. And but people also know that that is part of the past. You know, both groups together, coming together, forming, and then going into the future under the Yakima Chief name itself. And having the, the clarity going on from there, sure. And also with the expansion of the grower, you know, ownership going on that, that you know that we're dealing with too, you right? Know, getting that together, keeping the same focus, and Steve, the family, then that's the that's the goal, and that was the uh, the dream, yeah, from the beginning, and that's the fruition is there. And know? this is exactly where I wanted us to to land for with, with this conversation to to find out exactly where we are now. Uh, the Carpenter family uh, still farming. In fact, Steve, your son is working the farm, right? He is. Tyler is. Uh, I just got a text. And from daughter, my, right? My daughter yeah, yeah. and my oldest daughter and my youngest yeah. son, Tyler, okay. is on the farm. I just got a text from him. He, uh, We evidently sent two bales of wet hops back to him, and he was complaining. He showed me a picture <laughs> of the moisture meter, and he said, these were in specs. So these were fine. That's, oh, you, you I never, love this. You never got those yeah. calls happening. Uh, I hey, love hey, this. Hey, Steve. <laughs> Can we calibrate on the same bales? Because last year we got. No. Uh, I'm just messing with y'all. Um, what's 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 with with this whole thing? What's really nice is that today you got Steve's Steve's family going in and 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 his sons and daughter uh, daughters running the running the show. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, the Smith family. Mm-hmm. Second, do you know the, the the younger generation? I guess my age ish, our age ish, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, the Sauvés and everybody's kind of you know they're like they're training them up and they're coming back to hops when there was a big dearth yep in the uh, mid 80s to the really early 2000s it was like God we gotta get out of this we're not gonna make any money Nick mm. Nick, you're exactly right we literally lost a generation really of hop growers. people moving on they just they didn't want to go through what mom and dad and the rest of the family were going through it was yeah. stressful it was yeah. horrible yeah. but yeah. now they're coming back they are sure to the extent that we've actually invited some new 
uh, growers into our ownership. We do. For the first yeah. time in we're gonna, a long time. We're going to showcase those four new families this afternoon at Hop and Brew School with uh, the grower panel. Excellent. So, uh, I'm hoping to record that, as a matter of fact, so that you might hear that in a future uh, episode. Uh, how many fa- how many farms are family farms are involved in YCH now? This will make 15. 15. That's great. Oh, ownership. Uh, and ownership. Family, so you you might work with other farms, but those are the That's the owner growers. Seven. We work. Oh, okay. With almost all the family hop farms in Got the it. Pacific Northwest. Okay. Very but the owner growers are fifteen. Understood. Okay. That's you know connecting uh, brewers, best brewers in the world, to the yeah. best family farms. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing a, a just wonderful work. We could go on about this. In fact, I'm sure in a future episode, we'll just dive back into it. I'm fascinated by the history. My family are a bunch of nomads. Uh, in fact, I've got my, I, I, I'm not far from that. I've got my RV parked in your driveway, Steve. Uh, uh, so I love hearing about, you know, generations and, 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 a, and some foundation and a strong sense of, of, of self and, and unity here at, at YCH. So it's a fascinating story to me. Um, Ralph, if, if nobody's the rights to your book yet the brewing network's interested exactly I, what i was gonna say my my life in hops by by ralph uh, right that, i think that's uh, how we have to do that forward yeah uh, hopping, hopping mad i yeah. mean come on no i the other one is i helped write a song or wrote a song at one point okay and that was for the rolling boils blues band oh yes uh, 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 uh tom's band yeah and it was <laughs> hop blooded Hot-blooded, check it and and see, I've got an IBU of 103. Yes. (laughs) Then it goes on, come on, baby, do you do more than mash? Hot-blooded, hot-blooded. I can picture uh, Tom from Celebrator uh, and his band singing this now, actually. (laughs) I love it. Well, it it has just been a a pleasure to talk to you both and learn more about this. Um, Go to yakimachief.com and some of the presentations that have happened here at Hop and Brew School will be available online shortly, if not by the time you're listening to this podcast. It's my first time here. I'm having a great time. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to be speaking with Vinny Chilerzo. Uh, he's been on the program before, but we're going to talk about his unique role in what we've been talking about today, and, and that is the rise of, of these uh, brewer-focused hops, Simcoe? specifically Simcoe. Yeah. The, the, the beautiest queen. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to get a great story out of him. Uh, thank you all for, for being here. Uh, Nick, it's good to have you back on the show. I had to do one without you. I was lonely. and But I talked to your cohort, Blaze, and he did a good job. Excellent. Blaze is a, Blaze yeah. is a great friend of mine and a good dude. Um, and uh, if you ever want to go fishing, he's yeah. your man. He's the guy? He's the guy. Okay. His brother, you know, Blaze Rude, his brother is named Evan. Blaze and Evan Rude. Okay. Oh, Evan Rude. <laughs> As in battery. Yeah. As in, As in boat motors. Yeah. Seriously named them that, and they're a boating family. That's hilarious. Shout out to you, Evan. Uh, just messing with you, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad that I grew up on boats, or that joke would have fallen flat for everybody, <laughs> Nick. But I, I, yeah. oh, thank you. Thank you for rescuing yeah. me. Uh, no, I like it, though. Me. Well, thanks for sticking with us here on the Hop and Brew School podcast. Thank you to all your listeners. Uh, you can send your feedback into Hop and Brew School at thebrewingnetwork.com. We've gotten a lot of questions 
questions and feedback from you. Uh, we will be doing those questions on a future Q&A episode of Hop and Brew School. That'll be coming up fairly soon, as a matter of fact, because we've got a, a good amount of questions to get through, Nick. So we'll uh, we'll get some experts on here Looking to do that. To uh, so please do send us your feedback. Go to yakimachief.com. You can learn more about Hop and Brew School. By the way, you can also now purchase hops directly through uh, the Yakima Chief website and the app. Search your favorite app store, which Yakima Chief, uh, which is now free. That's right. Uh, it's a fantastic app. You can look up uh, information about all the hops you have or you can order hops. Um, so go check it out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take care of yourselves and your beer.